You have to believe in your company. You have to believe in your product. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you can differentiate from your competitor, not compare yourself to a competitor. And you have to believe that the customer is better off having purchased from you. And you can't believe that in your head. You have to believe that in your heart. Once you have, once you have this deep belief system, you're going to walk in with a self-confidence that can't be beat. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. It's a new year, 2021. I, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm uh, pretty glad 2020 is behind us. This, uh, this is a special episode for two reasons. One, it's the first episode of 2021. And because, drum roll please, it's our 100th episode. And uh, to celebrate, we've invited the sales superstars, Jeffrey and Jennifer Gittimer. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you, Steve. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's uh, rolling along. Um, so, and by the way, everybody stay tuned until the end of the episode. I'll be announcing a, uh, a special giveaway for our listeners in celebration of the hundredth episode, uh, just as a way of saying thank you for all, uh, all the love and support we've gotten. But today we are talking about the winning attitude for a lifetime of sales success with, uh, Jeff and Jen here. Um, as, as a bit of background, for, for those of you that don't know, Jeff and Jen are the hosts of the famous Seller Die podcast. Uh, Jen is a global sales and social media expert. She trains and coaches sales teams on how to increase their sales and make more profit. She's also the author of Sales in a, sales in a New York Minute and the host of Breakthrough Business Babe podcast. Jeff AKA the sales king empowers salespeople to capture every sales opportunity. He's the author of 17 best-selling books, including the little red book of selling. And, uh, and he's also the creator of the online Gittimer learning Academy. Well, um, first question is for Jeffrey. Uh, Jeff, you, one of your famous quotes is people don't like to be sold but they love to buy. Tell me, when did you realize this and how did it change your sales game? I realized that after all of my competitors were teaching people how to sell and customers were repelling them literally 97% of the time on a cold call, on, a, on any kind of a sales pitch, you walk in, you show a bunch of slides, and that's not really what I want. I don't want to, I don't want to buy a car. I want to drive a car. And I certainly don't want to be sold a car. And that's why many car salespeople have a very low rating in terms of their acceptance by society. Uh, I don't want to be sold a home. I want to buy a home. And one, I don't care about what the, what this part is. This is the sale part I'm going to use. And that's this part, the huge part. So I want to talk about the outcome and I want to talk about what happens after people take ownership, because that's, you know, just look at, at Badger mapping. You sell the software and then people use it. 
well, you sell it for an hour, but they might use it for years. And so I want to talk about use and I want to talk about what happens after they take ownership. That's about the buy. You'd never say, honey, let's go get sold a car. You never say, honey, you don't walk into a dress a department store to get sold a dress or a suit. You go to buy something. The problem is salespeople don't quite understand that. And that's how I have niche, niched myself in the world of sales. I talk about why people buy an outcome. And how do you under, as a salesperson, how do you uncover the, the customers or the prospects reasons that they buy? How do you get your, how do you get an understanding of that? Well, I can give you a specific example. Um, most of the time people try to qualify someone by their wallet or their budget. I try to get to their heart by asking an emotional based question. So let's say, let's stay in the car business. Um, you walk into a car dealership and what the car salesperson doesn't know the customer has already done all the research and they know exactly what they want, but the car guy is still going to, well, what brings you in today? Did you want to lease or buy today? Do you have a budget today? Did you want to, um, if they're, first of all, one for the word today, they couldn't talk. But second of all, I want to know how they use their car right now. No one ever asked that question. If I'm going to buy a house, nobody ever says, what kind of bedroom did you grow up in? And I, I want to know personal things that endear that customer to me where they're, they feel relaxed and they're ready to buy from me. So in, in Badger Mapping, I, I would want to know um, how certain are they that they're taking the best advantage of their time so that they can see the maximum number of customers in a day? How are they certain of that? And the answer is they're probably not. Well, I've lived here for 20 years. Right, I've lived here for in Charlotte for 30 years. I still find a new way to go places. And some of the ways I found were stupid. Like <laughs> the other day, somebody said, you don't go this way. I'm like, oh, wow. I never thought of that. So there's always a way to improve yourself. And unfortunately, in today's world, salespeople get into a rut of how they do things and how they already know what the answers are going to be. And for the most part, those answers are not in their favor. So in the same line about understanding why sales happen and then making sales happen for you, Jen, uh, Jen has mastered what it takes to make it in New York. And her mission is to teach us how to make it anywhere. Jen, what's your best New York sales advice? Oh gosh, there's so many. So in my book, I have 212 pages of tips and strategies, but I think the one that is coming to mind, and so I'm just going to go with it right now, is that it really begins with your thoughts. Everyone wants this, this um, crazy, amazing strategy. Tell me the secret to selling. Tell me the, the, what's the method? What's the formula? And it's really not a matter of mastering some secret formula to selling. It's a matter of positioning your thoughts in a winning, in, into the winning position because your thoughts are going to determine your actions and then your actions determine your outcome. There's actually a page in my book and I try to have fun with it, but I say approach everything you do with a positive mindset. Shower happy, brush your teeth happy, pee happy, 
and be happy. And it's just like a friendly reminder that you need to, you need to start out with that positive mindset. Because if you go into the sale with the last no, that means you're bringing that no with you. You're bringing that rejection with you instead of going in with this positive frame of mind and an assumption that they're actually going to buy from you. Yeah, that's a great thought. And, and going back to quotes on, on your website, Jen, you, you highlight that you, you get to wake up and do what you love every day. What, what's the secret to have, having that attitude and, and to being motivated and inspired every day? Well, first you need to figure out what inspires you. I think a lot of people just walk around this world in a hamster, hamster rotation thing where they're just waking up and doing the same thing every day and not actually taking time to think about what inspires you. Just going to museums and seeing art inspire you. Just reading books inspire you. Just, what, what is it? And when you can figure that out and figure that out in your, in your job and whatever it is you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, you get to win. And so I was in a career that was safe and secure and, and fun for the first five years and then really not so fun for the last year. And it took me a year to have the guts and the balls really to just say, I'm out. And, but I knew what I loved. I knew I loved helping people sell. And so you have to figure out what that is for you. And then don't, don't say there's no money in it. Like a lot of people will say, oh, I love to do this, but there's no money in that. No, if you love it, you will figure out a way to monetize it. And what, what would you say was your, was your thought pattern that allowed you to have the, uh, the chutzpah or the balls to, to make a big change in your life? I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, especially with, with, uh, 20, with 2020 here, are, are looking for a change. And they've had a chance to reevaluate their lives or reevaluate the direction. How would you, how, how would you say you, uh, you, you, what would you, how would you advise people to do that given that you were able to do it? If you don't like Mondays, <laughs> you need to get out. <laughs> like if you don't like going to your job on Monday, whatever that is, then like, what's the point? It doesn't matter how much they pay you if you're unhappy. And so I, that's my mentality around it. And so, you know, maybe it's a matter of starting slow. Maybe it's not a matter of, you know, just jumping ship right away. And if you need, if you have a family and a mortgage and, you know, tons of bills or whatever that you need to be the, you know, make the money for, then maybe you start something on the side while you're doing your job and then you slowly transition. No one says it's either this or that. It's, you know, it's not like you have to do one or the other. You could, there's an option to do both. And I think that a lot of the time people don't see it that way. They're, they make excuses for why they can't leave their job and do something that they would enjoy more. I, well, I can't do that because I'm not making money at that and I need the safety and security of the job. Okay, well, what can you do? What can you do? And if you start asking yourself better questions like that, then you'll figure out a way. Um, I wanna throw something in here. Uh, Jen has hit on a, on a nerve and that is what is your people say what's your motivation to go to work i'm going to take it a little bit different i'm going to say what is your motive to go to work why are you doing this are you doing it because you need to make the money or are you doing this because you love to do it 
And I think that if you look at it because you love to do it, the pandemic has created this opportunity for you to pretty much do anything you want. And if you, if you want to do something different, now's the perfect time because someone, no one's going to say, well, the last time this happened, no, they can't say that. This has never happened before. So this provides you with an opportunity to go out in the world and start something that you could love to do. Don't worry about not making money. You haven't done anything for, am I allowed to swear or no? You haven't done <laughs> shit for the last, you haven't done shit for the last six months. Why would this be any different? Just go out and do something that you love. But Steve, I want I need to go back because I got off on a tangent and I didn't hit my main point of, of why people buy. Everybody has a motive for purchase. And if the salesperson can dis can discover what the motive for purchase is, then automatically that customer will become a buyer. Their, their sense of urgency will have been uncovered. And so I need to get down to the motive of why someone wants to buy so that I can uncover how I can best communicate to them. So, and that has all to do with questions. And most of the time, the marketing department gives you a bunch of slides that don't have any questions affiliated with them. So I throw away those slides and I want to get to know the human being side of the person that I'm talking to. How they start in this, why they choose it. What, what do they see is next going on next year? Do they love it? Do they, you know, is there something else that they prefer? Would they rather be playing golf? Would they rather be fishing? Would they rather, would they rather be watching the San Francisco Giants lose? I don't, you know, whatever, whatever the circumstances are, you need to find those things out so you can have a real conversation with somebody instead of a sales conversation with someone. And eventually they'll tell you why they want to buy. You know, when I said your thoughts determine your actions and your actions determine your outcome, I want to give you an example to really drive it home. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm on the tennis court and I have this amazing shot. Like I was blown away by my shot, right? And I'm so proud of myself. The next shot I miss. And the next shot I hit in the net again. And I, all of a sudden in my head, I start thinking, don't miss this shot. Don't miss this shot. Don't miss this shot. Well, what do you think I did? I missed the shot because all those thoughts are doing are repeating to yourself. Your, your brain doesn't hear the negative part. It only, it, it, it negates the negative. There's some science behind that. And so all it hears is miss the shot. And so I missed the next shot. It wasn't until I was like, wait, I need better thoughts. I need to change this stroke up, follow through, do whatever. Right. And, and I made the next shot. It's just like that in sales. If you go in and you're like, don't miss the sale. I need the sale. I need to bring, I need to make money. This, I need to make my quota. Don't miss the sale. You're going to miss the sale. Your brain is literally wired to do, to make action based on your thoughts. And so if you're not making enough sales, really, 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 really check your thoughts. And get back to basics, get back to, you know, the blocking and tackling of the craft. It's so easy to get, uh, to get wrapped around the axle of what the problems are and, and why, you know, and focusing on how you're not going to win. But I, I want to throw something at you also. Sales trainers, people like us, have made this so complicated that it's almost beyond comprehension. There's a book out called The Complex Sale. Like, seriously, how complex is it? Because if I want to sell Badger Mapping something, 
I'm going to find out who the CEO is. I'm going to call him up on the telephone. I'm going to have enough of a, a social platform to where he will know who I am. He will take my call. We will engage. And the next thing you know, we show up on his podcast. And so I think that there's a lack of understanding of the salesperson. It ain't that complex. You're, you haven't built the right platform. If you're having to sneak around someplace or get, go to the wrong person, because you have no platform. And platforms right now are free. You can build your platform if you just work on it. And people have had months to work on their platform. And instead, they, they brag about what they binge watched on Netflix for six weeks so they could get four seasons worth of some stupid ass show on. Luckily, I don't know the name of the show. <laughs> no, I, I, I love that. And, you know, on, on uh, Back to Attitude, you know, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, in your book, if I recall, the, the, I'm one of your 17 books, the one, the one that I think is the best known book you wrote, the little, the little gold book of yes, um, that you talk about attitude a lot there. What, what, what are the perks of having, an, uh, having that yes attitude that you talk about? When you walk into a sale and you don't positively anticipate the outcome, Something's wrong. Your belief system is not deep enough. You, you, there's, there's five parts to a belief system. You have to believe in your company. You have to believe in your product. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you can differentiate from your competitor, not compare yourself to a competitor. And you have to believe that the customer is better off having purchased from you. And you can't believe that in your head. You have to believe that in your heart. Once you, have, once you have this deep belief system, you're going to walk in with a self-confidence that can't be beat. I walk into a sales call and I believe that customer has bought, they got to talk their way out of it before I'm leaving their office. And so the, the challenge that any salesperson has is you have to believe in yourself as one of the three major principles of walking in or doing anything in life. Mowing the lawn, going to a ball game. You got to believe you're going to find a great parking space. You're going to get, you know, you're going to have the best hot dog you've ever had in your life. Otherwise, life's going to be a big disappointment to you. And when you're in front of a customer who can say yes, you want to make certain that you're giving them the most enthusiasm, the most attitude you possibly can, because it's contagious. If you, if you, if, if you show them, how deep your belief is, how great your attitude is, how, how much self-confidence you have, they're going to catch that. It's hard not to. And, and you said something really interesting right there. You said um, the, the difference between differentiating yourself from a competitor and comparing yourself to a competitor. What, what is the difference between differentiating yourself from a competitor versus comparing yourself to a competitor? That, seemed, that, that was really interesting to me. When I differentiate, I'm differentiating with value. When I compare, I'm comparing with price. I'm never going to be the cheapest price ever, ever, ever in the world. But I'm always going to be the best value. Always. So I'm going to have to talk about how I differentiate. And the, the best way to prove differentiation is socially. You're on a scale of one to five in this world and you can't help it. Everything is a five now. And 
you have to look at yourself as a, as a, as a five, when you walk in the door, just say, hi, my name's Jeffrey Gittimer. I'm, I happen to be a five. And uh, <laughs> before this conversation's over, uh, I need you to sign this document. Please press star three copies. And that's, is it balls? Yeah, it's balls. But is it fun? Yeah, it's fun. And salespeople aren't having enough fun. They're either on their phone or away from their desk with some stupid voicemail message. Your call is very important to me. Well, if it's important, why don't you take the call? How else can sales be more fun? How can we have more fun in our jobs? I, f- I feel like we could all, uh, in 2021, we need more fun. How can, I, we, how, can we, how can we have more fun in 2021? Instead of bringing your sales pitch, bring an idea. And make the idea a fun idea about how you can interact with customers. And how, you know, you can, you, is, it, is it total fun? Ah, but does it make somebody smile? Yeah. And if it makes me smile, I, I want it. Don't you? Yeah. You think about brands that have like a, a fun brand, like Google, Google's a good fun brand. I feel like people associate Google with being a fun place to work, a fun place to, to fun products. Um, how, how do you, if you're a, can a company do this? Can a company be a fun company? I, I, I try to, I try to be a fun company all the time uh, and, and try to create a culture of that. Just cause I think it, you know, and you want employees to enjoy their lives and like you want you and, and you want customers to associate your brand with enjoyment. And how, how do you, how, how do you become Coca-Cola enjoy? How do you, how do you, how do you become fun? Well, Jen can probably tell you about why it's not fun. I mean, she worked in a, a big company that turned from, it's all about the leadership. It's obviously all about the leadership. Talk about it, Jenny. We grew from 100 people to 1,000 people overnight, pretty much. I mean, it was insane, the growth. And, and you know, if <laughs> it, it really is about the leadership and what they bring to it. You know, at some point they were free sodas in the cafeteria and then all of a sudden there were no free sodas. And and it became a place where people cared. Me personally, I was like, I don't freaking care about the free soda. Give me more money in my paycheck. I'll go buy my own soda. Like get rid of all the sodas. Like I don't <laughs> care. I want to go, I want to make the money and buy my own soda. But I think, you know, you create a company and you determine the priorities based on how you're, you're creating it. Like at our company, we have, it's an unspoken policy, but it's basically unlimited days off. I mean, they have a set number of days off, but people take off when they want within reason. And no one takes advantage of it. No one takes advantage of it. And pretty much everyone checks in on their days off to make sure nothing is slipping and because they care because they care as much as we care and so we've 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 found people like that and created that and so in terms of more fun I don't know for me it's not about being able to roller skate in the hallway or um, like I, I that's not a value to me that is a value to other people to be able to go play pool or um, video games or whatever in the middle of the day. And so it really matter. It really depends on, you know, who the employee is that you're trying to attract, 
for me, my value is if I'm working, I don't work for anyone else now, but if I did, my value would be basically pay me and leave me alone. You know, <laughs> like, let me, let me go do my thing. So I think you really need to know who your target uh, employee is and what fun um, is to them. I did a couple of things at Bloomberg in New York City. They have a 7-Eleven, literally, when you walk in the door, and it's help yourself. They, they, they charge you nothing, and you can have all the eats you want on the planet. So people go to their desk with a pile of food, and they're, they're content. Do they love their job? I don't know. But they do love the free food. So if you start it right, and your leadership is right, it could end up right. It could. There's no guarantee to it, but I don't, in, in our company, we don't have uh, a team. We have a family and I, I want to treat everybody who's here like they're my son or daughter because they're probably young enough to be my son or daughter, but that's how I've always done business. I've, I want people to feel as though they're protected. So they have a, a membership at the, at the Y or they have, triple uh, a if their car breaks down or so, you know some benefit that they recognize is in their favor for their safety or their health um, I don't split insurance with anybody I pay all their insurance because that's the belief that I have as as leader I want to I want to set the standard I want to set the example for the for our family but I want to set the standard for other people who do what I do or do, do what we do. And, and Jen basically runs a business. So I don't want to make like I'm the leader. Well, you are, but it's okay. We, we both are. And so, and so for, for us, we've attracted people who value those things. And it's really a matter of figuring out other people's values and what they care about. You know, when, when we have attracted people that don't care about free health insurance, that, that would rather, you know, like, like they, they don't see the value because maybe they're young and they've never paid their own health insurance. So they don't know how expensive it is. Um, you know, it, it ends up being a problem. And so, and, and so it's really all about values to me. That's what it comes down to. But what Jeffrey said about family is huge. We consider everyone on the team an extension of our family, even our virtual assistants in the Philippines. Like when they have bad weather there, I am, I am, messaging them on every platform to see if they're okay because I care about them you know they're not just some VA that that like I have no relationship with the reason we're able to have such a good working relationship is because we both we all care about each other and Stephen just to be clear the root word of relationship is relate and I consider it a prime value that I and Jen are able to relate to other people in a way that they consider valuable and embracing and engaging and encouraging. We don't demand, we encourage. And, and I- How do you do that? How, what, what would you say this, the, the, the skill is there to truly relate to people well? Well, you ask them if they need help. Like, hey, we got to get this done. What can I do to help you make this happen? Rather than make this happen by Friday at three o'clock or it's your ass. And there's obviously spectrum things in the middle, but the bottom line is we're, we jump in. We're toilet cleaners and trash can emptiers, not just bosses. 
it's true. And so, and so for the listener, like if you're working for someone where you don't feel that same camaraderie and you want it, you value it, you know, that might be something you go look for. And, and if you're a boss and you have salespeople working for you, you better be better than they are. <laughs> because if you are not better than they are, they're not going to listen to you. Plain and simple. What's that guy know? He can't make a damn sale. So they know that Jan and I know. Like I, I make sales all the time. That's my job. And I, I love making sales. It's fun for me to make sales. I've never thought about um, what, my, what my priorities are, but I do know what my responsibilities are. And as the leader of the company, I'm going to set a standard for everybody else to be able to follow. Not an example, a standard. So that, you know, you, you, you pegged it in the beginning. I'm the king of sales. Where'd I get that, that moniker? I gave it to myself. And I gave it to myself because no one has the balls to take it away from me. So, you know, I've, I've made million dollar sales in New York City, cold call and fortune 500 company presidents and making the sale. And, uh, you know, give me anybody on a platform for an hour, put a few grand on the, on the end of the platform, invite an audience and let people vote in the audience. Winner takes it all. I'm happy to do that. So, um, and plus I'm old, so no one's going to, you know, screw with me and, uh, you know, they, oh yeah, he's old. What does he know? Well, you know. Spend three years in New York City cold calling. You'll learn a lot. A lot. You, first of all, you hear more swear words than you've ever heard before in your life. People today are politically correct. I don't, I don't understand political correctness. I only, I only know New York City street sales talk. And none of it is politically correct. Not, not one word. So true. And... With attitudes, um, which is kind of a theme here, the how can a salesperson identify if they're having a good or a bad attitude? How, how can they be in touch and introspective about their own attitude? Well, for me, the key word is best. Are you doing your best every day in your own mind, in your own heart? Because if you're not doing your best, something's wrong internally with a reaction that you've had or something that's gone wrong or you're not meeting your own expectations, but whatever it is, there's a frustration level and frustration tends to gnaw away at your attitude on a regular basis. So I strive to be best every day. Jenny? Yeah, and I think if you're trying to be best, you really can just ask yourself, if I'm best, is this the attitude I would bring? And 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 ask yourself those questions to determine if you have a good attitude or not. I mean, I think most people know. Most people know if, if they have a, a good attitude or not. What they don't know is if they have negative thoughts. Most people don't analyze their thoughts. They see their actions coming out. So they see if they're being nice to other people, right? You, you can tell when you're mean to people or when you you're like act pissed off or all angry or whatever and you don't have a good attitude. But I think it's harder to determine that it's coming from what's what's act, what like the self-talk that's going on in your head. Um, I, let me add something that I think will be insightful for the audience. I graduated from high school in 1963, which is probably before anybody listening today was born. <laughs> <laughs> and we were going to have a high school reunion, but COVID 
threw it out. So we decided to have it on Zoom. And it was so popular that we now have a high school reunion every three weeks on Zoom. So there's about 100 people, maybe a little more, maybe a little less that are on every time it's on. And some very famous people were there, all smart, because we went to a school where every kid who graduated went to college. Half this class is pissed off and half the class is fine. And you listen to these people who you, the only reason you're there is because you graduated high school with them. That's the only reason. And some I've maintained really good friends with, but some people are just curmudgeons. They've grown up curmudgeon-y. And if, you, if you're complaining about stuff, let me explain something. Let me give you a secret about sales. Nobody wants to hear it. I don't care if your car burnt, broke down, burnt, burnt. I don't care about that. I care about which end is up. And I care about how far you're going, going up, growing. Tell me about something fun that happened. Tell me a good story, not a negative story. And when, when the kids in the class are there, some of them are talking about their grandkids and where they went to the beach and where they went to the family. And one kid's talking about, well, they, get, you know, they're, they have arthritis. And I, I, I don't care. I don't need to know that. And I know every one of these people because I grew up with them. You know, I spent years in not just high school, but, you know, middle school with all of them because everyone lived in the same town. No one moved away. That's yeah, fantastic advice. Nobody wants to hear it for people that have a bad attitude. What, I, I love it. What, 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 uh, what other advice do you have for salespeople who don't have the best attitude? How can you, in, how can you improve your attitude? Go get the little gold book of Yes Attitude. Buy it and study it. Also, There's Jeffrey another. actually has a sales attitude course. It's on our website, getimer.com go to courses and then sales attitude like that has changed people's lives, literally changed their lives. And I think it's only like $99. I mean, if you don't value your attitude enough to invest $99 in it, there's something critically wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's this going to do for me? Uh, dude, I want to, I want there's nothing I can do to change somebody's attitude who doesn't want to change their attitude. You have to want to do it. And what's the difference between a mindset and an attitude? Well, you can draw, I mean, they're very thin lines, but an attitude is more a frame of mind than a mindset. Like I'm going to tell myself, I'm self-talking myself into performance. And I'm going to wake up every day and go, it's going to be a great day. And I'm going to be the reason for it. And nobody else is going to, I, I, I wrote something at five o'clock in the morning, 25 years ago, people will rain on your parade because they have no parade of their own. And H when haters going to hate. <laughs> exactly. Haters going to hate. So you have to just avoid those people. Like if you have a, if you are a sales leader and someone comes in, to uh, interview for a job, or you're on a Zoom with them, which is obviously what's gonna to happen today. And the, the interviewer, the sales leader says, tell me about your last boss. My boss is a I don't wanna to talk to that guy. For sure. Next. Red, red flag. Right. So look at it from a standpoint of you, you can either have a white flag, or a yellow flag, or a red flag. I don't want a red flag. I don't want a red flag. I want somebody who's going to, who's going to harmonize with me.
not try to win. You don't need to win. You need to, you need to harmonize and everybody needs to win. And I don't mean it in a millennial sense where I get a participation ribbon. I'm talking about if you sell something, somebody buys something from you, they have to feel like they got a better part of the deal than you did. They got to go out bragging about this deal that they got because this guy came over and helped them with this, 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 and this, and you can't believe the service. And this is what happened. And I went online and I gave them a five. I want to go back also and, and talk about the distinction between mindset and attitude. Cause I think that it's really important. So to me, mindset is a way of thinking. It's like everything that's going on in your brain and your head, it's the inside. Okay. You can reset your mindset. You can reframe things. That's all happening internally. Your attitude becomes your habit or it becomes the outward projection due to your way of thinking. So people don't see your mindset. I can't tell what your mindset is. I can only tell by seeing your attitude because that's your outward behavior. That's like the way you are putting it into action in a sense. And it goes a little bit deeper. I've defined attitude as the way you dedicate yourself to the way you think. And if you decide that it's going to be great, it's going to be great. If you decide that it's not going to be great, then it's not going to be great. And what Jen said is absolutely accurate. It will manifest itself in the way you talk. You and the think, things you do. Yeah. If and you're how, slamming a door, I don't, I don't really want to talk to you. <laughs> sure. And, and how does what's inside you affect uh, your outward facing, um, your outward facing attitude and, and what people are perceiving from about, about you and about your attitude and, and how can you, how can you uh, improve your outward facing, even in, if things are going tough on so, the inside? Like these are tough times, right? So how can we kind of affect what's on the outside, even if things are tough on the inside? When I was selling in New York City, I went on a sales call. It was early morning. I like to get there early and I'm looking for the address that they gave me. It's literally nowhere to be found. And I'm it's the middle of winter. It's freezing ass cold outside. I'm carrying my heels, carrying my projector, carrying my, my computer. And I have a winter jacket on and I'm like, you know, sweating because I know I can't find this building and I'm going to be late. And yet it's literally negative degrees outside. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Okay. Finally, I figure out that instead of 32, they meant 23 and they inverted the numbers. I don't know how I figured it out because my contact was on a plane, was not answering and I had no one else to reach. So, and, and there, it wasn't, it wasn't, the address wasn't Googleable. So I finally get there and I'm now like five minutes late to a place that I had arrived to and was looking for, for the last 35 minutes. And I realized I had 20 seconds or so in the elevator ride up. And I use that time to reset my attitude because if I had walked into that building, if I had walked into the meeting all pissed off and like, you gave me the wrong address and I'm, do you think they ever would have purchased from me? <laughs> no, but instead I listened to music on the way up. I was like jamming out, having a good time, just like took a few deep breaths did what I needed to do. Everyone has their own routine, or if you don't, you need to find your own routine. That was my routine at the time. Walked in and just didn't even say 
anything that they had the wrong address, told my contact later, but didn't say anything to these people and they bought. Now they never would have bought if I went in with an angry attitude. And so I just tell you that to demonstrate, like imagine going into a sales call and bringing it with you and it's easier to bring it with you than to stop, pause and reset. Very cool story. And that, that's one thing I've noticed, Jen, like uh, it's very powerful the way you do this because it makes it stick in my mind is a lot of your points are made with an illustrative of stories. Thanks. <laughs> you know, salespeople should do that too. <laughs> Turns out <laughs> it makes it sticky, makes it resonate. Yeah. Um, so you both are experts and have books and recommend to study the thoughts and and, and and writings of positive and successful people. Who who are the people that inspired each of you the most and, and why? You go first, Jeffrey. I've been inspired by the early developers of um, personal development. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Dale Carnegie. I'm a big fan of Napoleon Hill. I'm a big fan of Earl Nightingale and I wake up in the morning and I expose myself to them. Sometimes for a while, sometimes for two minutes, but I'm always doing something. And I'm always doing something for my attitude. So I have a great attitude because I've been working at it for 40 years. If I would have just quit after one year, I, my attitude would have eroded. It's, you know, you, you, you bathe every day for a reason. And uh, when you don't, you stink. And so I'm, I'm looking at it from the perspective of I'm going to help myself on an everyday basis first. I'm going to be the best person I can be for myself first. Then I can be my best for other people. So it's a selfish thing. Attitude is a very selfish thing. But the bottom line is it happens because you've studied other people who have great attitudes. Um, I Last year when you were allowed to go to school, um, I gave my daughter a little piece of paper that I copied from an Arson Sweat Martin book called He Can Who Thinks He Can, written in 1908. And Martin said, every child should be taught to expect success. Now think about that from an attitudinal perspective. You're in school, you have a teacher, and she or she, he or she is telling you every day, listen, you guys, you're going to be really successful when you grow up because I'm going to give you the inside secrets of what it's going to take to get out there in the world and win. And if I tell you that every single day, you're going to believe it by the time you're out of here. And I think this is, uh, this is such an important point that's m lost on, on the modern world sometimes. Uh, oh, yeah. I think we, we've done a, a great job of teaching people to be entitled, but not teaching people to expect success. How, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that statement, but what, what do you what do you think? I'm totally in I totally in agreement with you. We the educational system right now, and I don't want to get political about it because it's not my place to be political publicly, but there are standards that are set and you have to meet those standards or you die. Well, the the standard unfortunately is not excellence. The the the, the standard is this material, that material, you know, you get a grade. I, I, I just don't understand it. I, I literally don't understand it. And people leave school and they have no grammar. And how, how, can, how can you 
teach a, a kid or a salesperson, if you're a sales leader, how can you teach them to expect success? Well, the best thing you can do, first of all, is be the example of success. Set the standard for success yourself so that people will say, oh, that guy, that woman, they're doing it. I'm, I want to do what they want to do. I want to be like them. And you have to look at it from that perspective first. And then second, you have to be encouraging rather than threatening. I, I To me, the, the secret, the lost secret of sales is encouragement. And if you can't give me that encouragement, if you threaten me, if you don't make three sales by Friday, you're out of here. I'm, I'm out of here on Thursday. I don't, I don't want to wait till Friday. I'm gone. Yeah, Jenny, the, you're the leaning in like leader, leadership by fear and the, the Glenn Gary, Glenn yeah. Ross method of uh, third, exactly. second place is a set of steak knives. Third, third place is you're fired. And I could not agree right. more. That doesn't, it doesn't no, but work. Coffee is for closers is one of the all-time lines in a movie ever. It, for those of you who don't know, it's a, a sales movie where Alec Baldwin plays himself. <laughs> and what about you, Jen? Uh, who are the people that have inspired you the most and why? Or, or uh, if you have things to talk about, what, to add to what Jeff just said as well. Yeah, well, let me add to that first. So, um... Oh, where were we? <laughs> so Jeffrey said something about um, Ex expecting success and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you asked how can a leader expect success from salespeople, and in my opinion, and I, and I love what Jeffrey had to say about it. And I would just add that if if you're going to expect success, you really need to have that positive assumption up front. Like sometimes people hire someone and then they're like, I don't know about him. We'll wait and see how, or her. We'll wait and see how it turns out. No, you have to go in positively assuming that they are going to be a success because guess what? They're going to feel that energy coming off of you. And I like to, when, when I'm managing a team of salespeople, what I've done is I make sure to reinforce micro successes. So that if I want to expect success, I need to show them little wins. I need to help them get little wins so that they can get those big wins because it's like a domino, like a snowball effect. It just keeps getting bigger and people build off those wins. And so it's it's like a child or a dog, to be honest, like my, my dog, right? I, I ask her to sit and she gets a treat. I ask her to lay down, you know, <laughs> she gets another treat. And so how can you reward your salespeople every time they get a little success so that they begin to make that cognitive recognition with, oh, I do that. It's good. I do that. Let me do that more. Let me keep, let me try even harder because I know it's going to have this big, great result. And I'm not saying you should give your salespeople treats, but there has to be some sort of um, recognition. <laughs> Jeffrey's making the puppy dog look, you know, there has to be some sort of recognition and reward system so that they do feel special because it's innate human behavior. We want to feel special. We want to be recognized. Well, yeah. And there's a ton of attitude or a ton of evidence that shows that like spiffs and games and um, little contests are, are really, uh, they, they, it just, it makes sales fun. If you're, if you're on a team, I think especially um, uh, it's, especially in competitive environments or stressful times. I could just, you know, giving away an iPad to the person on your sales team who, who sells the most in, in a quarter or, or, or whatever it is. 
I think, uh, and, and we actually, one, one customer of ours, um, they gave a, they had probably a 400 person sales team using Badger and they, they gave their, their, uh, their top salesperson for the year, a two year lease on a Tesla and like gave it to him with Badger on like the big screen in the Tesla, you know, and wow. it was pretty cool. But they, they, uh, that it's like, that's, that's not a little spiff. That's a, that's a really big spiff. But I think, I think that sort of thing is really, it really, really makes a difference to the sales teams. There yeah. has to be a way that a leader encourages someone for success, even if it's just way to go. Something that allows that, that person to feel great about what they did and who they're becoming. That's the whole deal to me. Yeah. So in terms of inspiration for me, um, Jeffrey has a pretty extensive library and He's introduced me to some really old sales books that it's interesting to see how relevant they are today, even though they they were written a hundred years ago. And I've really been inspired by a lot of those books as well as, and I'm not saying this because he's here, but as well as Jeffrey. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, I can think of uh, someone on this call who's written an old sales book that's exactly. famous. <laughs> Hey, when, when did the little red book come out? That, that's like the 90s, right? No, it came out in 2004. But let me throw this at you. I've introduced Jen to a couple of things that I think are powerful. Um, the Napoleon Hill Foundation gave me the first writings of Napoleon Hill to put into a book. I didn't edit them. I annotated them. Big difference. Like, I don't, I'm not going to change Napoleon Hill's words, but I can add some definitions and meanings. Well, Jen edited the book. And so as it, as it was written, and she's texting me at 1130 at night going, this is the coolest thing I've ever, all exposure, all exposure. Um, the great Jim Rohn, the late great Jim Rohn said, all the information that you need to succeed already exists. The problem is you haven't exposed yourself to it. And so that all I did was expose this to Jen and she takes ownership of it. And that's what it takes. You know, I, ha I can't light your candle. You got to light your own candle. I'm giving her matches. That's all I'm doing. Here's the match. Here's a candle. You figure out how to do it and you got it done. The, I'm intrigued. Who do you think the great sales thinkers are that, uh, that, that, far preceded you. So, you know, from a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, who, who do you think? A long time ago, because I'm preceding my damn self. <laughs> the, the, the early guys of selling, um, and I, I could, if we were, had more time to do video, I could take you on a, on a library tour and show you how sales have evolved. But um, the guy that created Fuller Brushes, um, Alfred Fuller, he invented a technique that said, look, when you knock on the door of a woman's home with their home and they answer the door and they don't want to see you, you put your foot in the door so they can't slam it on you and you can still get your presentation out. And the title of his biography is A Foot in the Door. And they made millions of dollars using that kind of technique. And that's how sales have evolved. But what he was saying was figure out a way to get your message out. And he had a sales group of people from all over the country and they would support each other. 
They were called pluggers. And they had a, an annual book that came out. They had a, a monthly newsletter that came out with poems and songs and stuff. And so what happens is it's not just a matter of, um, it's not just a matter of what happens in terms of a, a sales guru. It's, a, it's like N Napoleon Hill who wrote, I think the best sales book of all time called How to Sell Your Way Through Life or the personal development people that, you know, the Dale Carnegie's and the Norman Vincent Peale's of the world. But it's the salespeople encouraging one another. We, we started this group, Steve, um, called the Insiders Club. And uh, there's, I don't know, how many people are in, Jen? A couple hundred? A couple hundred people in so far. There'll be a couple thousand in. But the Facebook group is all about salespeople throwing their problem out there and some other guy from a, a foreign country coming in with an answer. They want to be helpful to one another. They want to support one another. So it's not just a matter of where I've learned, but it's who's continuing to support. And yet, listen, I got a, a ton of people that I, I totally love and respect. Some of them are my peers, but guys you never heard of like Ray Leone, who, who invented the sales funnel, literally. And all of a sudden now funnels are like the biggest thing on the planet. Um, but, uh, the people who did things early on set rules in place and guidelines in place that people want to follow all the time. I'll show you one. Look at this. I collect these old books. This one's called A Word to the Wise by Charles Hamley. And this is a, a 1939. And all it is is a bunch of things, a bunch of sayings about what he knows to be true in wisdom, what he knows to be true in sales. I'd rather read these things. I'd rather read what a sales guy who went out there and busted his ass to make a bunch of sales and what he learned on those things than anything. It's not about just the guru. It's not about the Arson Sweat Martins or the Samuel Smiles of the world. It's about the guys that went out and busted their humps to be able to make something happen. I'm gonna throw one other thing at you. One day I met Lou Dobbs at a trade show. And I said, uh, Lou, um, you have all these CEOs on all the time. How do you think they got there? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, they come in in a limo. I, no, no, no. How did they, what got them on the show? Let me explain what happened, how they got there. Some sales guy went out and busted his balls so they could be on your show. And they never get thanked. I want to thank the salespeople for busting their balls so I could have this, whatever it was. And I think that that's, I said, so... Why don't you bring salespeople on, Lou? <laughs> and he just, he said, well, I, I don't know about the ratings. Okay, fine. <laughs> but the bottom, the bottom line is that's the truth. I can tell you all about the people I've learned from, but the best people I've learned from are other salespeople. Nothing happens till someone sells something, right? And Red Motley. Yeah. I think this is relatable to both, not just books that you read or people that you follow or that inspire you, but also to this podcast and, and all the other personal development that you're doing. You could read all the stuff in the world, but if you're not taking action on it, it doesn't matter. So one strategy for that is when you're taking notes to literally write the word action, colon, <laughs> And then every time you have a good, you hear a good point, what's the action you're going to take as a result of it? 
And so if you could start to put that into practice, I think it will really change things for you. Not yes. you, but your listeners. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I do this. Uh, that's exactly what I do. Whenever I'm taking notes, I, I have a little section at the top of the notes, like at the top of the page, like action items. or uh, yeah. and, I, and then I put little bullet points there, you know, when I'm in a sales meeting or if I'm, uh, you know, in a conversation or anytime I have, I always jump to the top of the page of, uh, and, uh, and stick that in there. But cool. you yourself have intellectual curiosity <clears throat> that makes you a way better leader. You want to know what and you want to know why. And as a result of that, you're going to come up with answers that are going to beat your competition every single day. And I mean every single day. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, it, the next section is sales in 60 seconds. And today, because uh, we're going to do it a little differently, because Jen wrote sales in a New York minute and has it's got literally 200 sales tips and action items. Um, what we're asking, what I, if I could just ask you to share uh, five sales lessons about different topics in a New York minute. And I, I chose some that I thought would be the most interesting. Are you ready? Go. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, first uh, networking. Be curious and listen. Social selling. <laughs> Uh, give value first. That's Jeffrey's. I'm stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably let you have it. All right. Uh, Thanks, honey. <laughs> Wait, is Jeffrey giving these two? Um, yeah, sure. You could each give. You could each give it. You, you, I'm giving it in way less than a New York minute. Come on. Yeah, yeah. You're well. You're you're very succinct. Social selling post valuable messages that create attraction. And the first one was networking. Networking. Um, don't. Tell people what you do because they don't really give a shit what you do. You want to know what they do. There's a great Dale Carnegie quote that says you're going to make more sales by becoming interested in other people than trying to get them interested in you. Yeah. Don't, don't tell people what you do. Tell them what you do for them. Right. <laughs> we can all exactly. play this game. This is great. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, differentiation. Be great to hear from both of you. Yeah. I'm a value differentiator. I don't, I, my price is high and I don't justify it. If you, if you don't want me and the value of me, then I'm probably not the right person for you. And I post everything. I have 350 videos on YouTube. If you want to know my philosophy or how I think about something, it's right there. And that part, that the free part, you know, every morning I'm on at 9:59 AM for 170 days. That's the free part. And that what that does, it creates attraction and it creates word of mouth. And that's, you know, to me that the differentiator is what are you willing to do first in order to be able to earn second? And I would add that you need to really put yourself in your customer's shoes. Like, is it a sneaker? Is it a high heel? What, what is it? And literally slip into it for a second and figure out, what, what is it that they care about? Because that's going to be where you differentiate yourself and how do you, how are you different? And like, if you're different in a way that they don't care about, it doesn't matter unless it's something that they value. Correct. So true. Um, how about persistence? <laughs> 
So I was literally I doing a podcast right before this and I talked about all about persistency. And the one thing I, I always hear is like, well, they said no to me. And it's like, okay, so did you believe that you really should work with them? Yes. Okay, if you really believe that you're going to help them and you need to work with them, then that don't register that no in your head. That is not a no. That is a not right now. That is something else. I don't know what it is. Don't register the no and keep figuring out different angles on how you can help them. I tell salespeople quite uh, bluntly to be honest with their customer and say, look, I've been following up with you for the last three months. I believe in my heart that we are the best answer for you, not just the best solution, we're the best answer for you on the planet. And I'm going to continue to follow up with you every week until you say, never call me again. And then I'm going to follow up for another three weeks and then that's it. And then I'm going to quit. So, but if you believe in your heart that you can help that other person, you never quit. That's the deal. That's persistence. I think uh, it's, a, it's an important lesson for all of us. How about gratitude? Um, I can't say grace enough for anything or anyone more than I have got in this world. I have family. I have the greatest wife on the planet. Smart, great looking. Cannot beat me in a foot race on the beach, but still we're working at that. I, another 10 years, you'll probably be able to kick my ass, but not this year. <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm grateful for my friends and I'm grateful for my intelligence. I'm grateful for my family that gave me brains. And all I did was use what they gave me the right way. Oh, and he did win the foot race. Or a brace. I don't know why we add foot. No, no, wait a minute. Head. Come on. And it wasn't even close. <laughs> it wasn't like, wait, who won? His legs are so much longer. He's so much taller. Oh, it's not boy. fair. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so thank you. And I, all I would say on that is have a gratitude practice. If you want to be a grateful person, then actually put it into practice. Tell the people that you love or are grateful for, that you're Whoa. grateful for them. It, it seems so simple, yet people don't do it. When was the last time you texted or called, picked up the phone and called someone that you're grateful for and told them that, or sent them a card in the mail? Maybe never. And so just consider that, you know, if you wanna be a grateful person, you need to have a grateful practice. Yeah, I think, um... You know, these are these have been tough times this past year, but it's uh, if there is a benefit, it's uh, that I can think of. It's that it, it has shown us a lot of uh, what we can be grateful for, and, and reminded us of of what we can be grateful for. Um, and uh, it's definitely a good a good thought and message to take into uh, starting twenty twenty one here. So as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listen today do as a first step to get into the right attitude and mindset? Eat an ice cream cone before you start your work. You'll feel great. It's uh, only $5. <laughs> but 
I'm a proponent of eating dessert first. I go to all these banquets from speeches that I give and they put the dessert out on the table um, and I start eating it. And people will go, you're eating dessert. And I go, right, I am. Are you going to eat yours or can I have it? <laughs> and, and they're not having enough fun. So to me, if you want the, the inspiration for 21 to for 2021, go do something that you love and go have some fun at it. Yeah. I mean, if you start with that, you're going to win and maybe also move your body, like get a little sweat in, get your endorphins up. And then you got this thing. Yeah. And did I mention eat dessert first? I forget if I mentioned that or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can our listeners read more about your work and how can they reach out to you? How can they connect? I'm at Jen Gittimer on Instagram, and that is the very best place to find me. And I'm just Gittimer.com. I got the family name, and uh, <laughs> all my relatives call up and want a piece of it, and I hang up on them. <laughs> but in a nice way. They should have been faster. Yeah. Uh, we'll um, we'll add those into the show notes. 1995 is when I registered my first website. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's impressive. I did. I don't think I knew what the internet was in 1995. I owned Gittimer.com. There you go. So guys, go have some fun. Go eat some cake. And uh, we'll see you shortly. Thank you, Steve, for this opportunity. Totally. Thank appreciate you it. so much. Thank you. All right, well, I'm going to try to summarize everything that Jeffrey and Jennifer have told us today. So first, Jeffrey says, all his competitors were teaching people how to sell, and he realized people were teaching things from the wrong perspective. Salespeople instead should focus on the outcome. For example, customers don't want to be sold a car. What, the, what people want to do is they want to buy a car. So don't necessarily qualify based on budget either. Instead, understand the personal things that lead a prospect to buy. For example, find out how your prospect currently uses their car. Jen's, based, Jen's very best sales advice is based on thoughts. Position yourself and approach everything with a positive mindset. Don't go into your next sales call with the last no on your mind. Find out what inspires you and pursue it. Even if this means doing it on the side at the start, Try it out and see if you can pursue it full time. If you're not making enough sales, think about your mindset and make sure you can get back to positivity. Walk into every sale believing in a positive outcome. Believe in your company, your product, yourself, and believe that you can defend against your competitors. Most importantly, you have to believe in yourself of all those things, because if you don't believe in yourself, then your prospect won't believe in you. Jeff recommends to differentiate yourself from competitors based on value and compare yourself based on price. The root word of the word relationship is relate. Make sure you can relate to your employees and your prospects and show that you care. All of this impacts your attitude as a leader or a salesperson. Be careful of your negative thoughts since they can impact the attitude that comes out. Mindset is the way of thinking. 
Attitude becomes your outward behavior. Use time before your sales calls to reset your attitude. Stop, pause, and reset. Try listening to music or taking a few deep breaths. Jeffrey also says, wake up and try to be the best person for yourself each morning so that you can be the best person for the other people around you throughout the day. As a sales leader, set the example of success and be encouraging to bring your sales team to success. Jen recommends reinforcing smaller wins. Create a recognition and reward system for your sales team. Salespeople should take time to learn from each other and help each other with their mindset for every sales meeting. These have been great insights, Jeffrey and Jen. I'm sure our listeners were able to take a lot away from what you've shared today. Speaking of our listeners, at the beginning of this episode, I promised a special giveaway as a thank you for all your love and support. Are you guys ready? We have three prizes to share. First, Jen's awesome sales book, Sales in the New York Minute, and then Jeffrey's popular sales book, The Little Red Book of Selling, 12.5 Principles of Sales Greatness. And in honor of our 100th episode, a $100 Amazon gift card. To enter this contest, just go to badgermapping.com forward slash 100 giveaway. That's 100-G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. Again, that's badgermapping.com forward slash 100 giveaway. You have until February 14th, 2021, Valentine's Day to enter to win. Also, we've left the link in the description for this episode. This has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If anyone can think of any other sales reps that would benefit from learning these skills, share the love and forward this on to them. Once again, thanks for helping us get here. We really appreciate it. We're excited to continue producing this great podcast and uh, these great podcast episodes that help you succeed in outside sales. 